canceling is the last thing any race director ever wants to do. While runners are out training and pounding the pavement for months on end, we're in the background doing that the whole year. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. COVID-19 has changed life as we know it. For runners, this means upending your spring racing plans and casting uncertainty on the fate of hundreds of events. This is very disappointing for participants, but it's the organizers who suffer the greatest fallout from this crisis. In this episode, we hear from three race directors who are working tirelessly to secure the future of Canadian running. They give a behind-the-scenes look at exactly what goes into staging your favourite events and ask runners for patience and trust in these unprecedented times. In a matter of weeks, COVID-19 has turned the world upside down. You're likely listening to this at home in self-isolation or out on what is hopefully a solo run. Across the country, advisories and laws change daily. Restrictions on group gatherings went from 500 to 250 to 5 to calls for complete physical distancing. As event directors scrambled to react to an ever-changing environment, the questions started pouring in from concerned runners. What does this mean for my spring marathon? Will races still take place? If not, do I get my money back? Race directors moved as quickly and creatively as possible to come up with solutions. Postponements, cancellations, and virtual events have all been explored. This is an incredibly stressful time for event organizers who are trying to navigate a constantly changing landscape without a roadmap. And although they say most runners have been understanding, they've received backlash from a small but vocal minority. Kirsten Fleming is the executive director of Run Calgary. Her series consists of seven events throughout the year, including three spring races, the Sport Check Mother's Day 5 and 10K, the Scotiabank Calgary Marathon, and Calgary's Fastest 10K. I spoke with Kirsten last week, and at that time, Run Calgary had suspended registration for all three events. Of course, things are changing very quickly. Since we spoke, their Mother's Day races have been cancelled, and their other two remain in limbo. Like all race directors, Kirsten takes tremendous pride in her events, so she was disheartened when she started seeing her colleagues harassed and vilified online. In response, on March 15th, she published an open letter to the Canadian running community. You wrote a really poignant open letter to the running community explaining, I think, on behalf of yourself and all these other race organizers and race directors that you've been in contact with, exactly how difficult these decisions are. This is really, it's it's your baby. This race, this weekend, all of the events that are involved in Run Calgary, you have a real vested interest in making sure that they go ahead and that your guests and your participants are well taken care of. You've really asked runners to be patient and understanding. And we'll link that letter in the write-up to this episode so that folks can read it and get a better understanding of that. What are some of the responses that you've had from runners or potential participants that prompted you to write this open letter? I just felt like there was, you know, a small but mighty minority of people who were really loud online and being a little bit almost bullying some race directors. And I saw this not just in Canada, but like across the board, because I'm friends with so many different race organizers all over the globe. And as spring races began to get canceled, 
I also just understood that there was a disconnect around what's happening in our world versus what's happening in the running world at large. Because for a race participant to say, well, you've turned your race virtual, there's no cost to a virtual race, and I still want my money back because we're trying to come up with those creative solutions. Like it led me to believe, you know, that people really don't understand that when they hand over a registration fee, that that fee is now split into a million little pieces and then deposits are made and swag is made. And in good faith, it's been paid long before race day. And so to ask for it back is asking for your favorite race, uh, often cases to come up with money that no longer exists because the money has been spent in preparation for that big day. So uh, most of us are small business owners or not-for-profits. And it will absolutely sink races if everyone starts demanding their money back. So I just, I guess I wanted to convey that um, we're all in this together and we're trying to find alternatives that work and deferring races and and, um, coming up with virtual events and just really trying to get creative with some solutions so that, you know, there's no big losers. I mean, we're all losing in this awful, awful health crisis, but we just want to make sure that our running community doesn't cease to exist from a race perspective because runners weren't able to be empathetic to the people who are putting on their races. Alan Brooks is the executive race director at Canada Running Series, which hosts some of the country's highest attended races. CRS had two events on the calendar this spring, the Toronto Spring Runoff and the Scotiabank Half Marathon in Montreal. Both have been postponed several months, and since our conversation, CRS took further steps, cancelling both their Toronto and Edmonton Lululemon 10K races. I reached Alan in Guadalajara, Mexico, where he is waiting for a safe time to return to Canada. Don't worry, Alan assured me that he's safe and well taken care of in Mexico. But he says that the current situation is mega stressful. COVID-19 is beyond any challenge he's seen in four decades of race directing, and he echoed Kirsten's plea for patience and kindness during this period of uncertainty. About 99% of our running community have been amazingly understanding, patient, supportive, because, you know, we don't know a lot of the answers yet. Is there going to be a race next month? Are people going to have a job next month? But there have been, as, as Kirsten pointed out, a very, very, very small group who have been really unkind. We we try to work with them. We're trying to work with everybody to give the most options possible. One person had asked, is there a reason we've chosen not to waive our refund policy like most other businesses have? And I think all of the Canadian road races and a lot globally are in the same situation that the money's been long spent. You know, in Canada, races are, even the big ones, they're organized by small family businesses or not-for-profit companies. And we don't make much money, contrary to maybe some belief. And so if things go on indefinitely, then we're not looking at a pothole. Uh, We are looking at an abyss. Nancy Holland is the Road Race Series Coordinator for Run Nova Scotia. She's been on the board since 1997 and says she's never encountered a crisis of these proportions until now. Her Spring Race Series has also suffered a number of changes. Uh, So our kickoff race of the year is Run Our Shore, which was due to take place in Liverpool 
on April 18th, and they have uh, canceled their event and offered everybody a deferral for 2021. Uh, the next race on May 2nd is Hillside to Haiti, a 5K, and it has also canceled. The next race after that has not said whether they're in or out yet, and that's on May the 9th. And then the big one, the Scotiabank Blue Nose Marathon, has deferred to, or has postponed, I should say, to November. So have gone from the long weekend in May all the way into November because that was the earliest they could find dates that they weren't conflicting with other events that are already taking place. Nancy says that although there are myriad logistic challenges associated with cancelling or postponing events, the toughest part right now is managing participants' hopes and expectations. It's dealing with the human end of it and being able to decide if you have already spent all of the registration money buying medals and t-shirts and renting halls and paying for catering and all of that sort of stuff. Those are the things that you have really have to take into consideration for whether you're going to be able to just defer the race or if you're going to offer refunds. Um, I, I see that the Fredericton Marathon just announced today that they are canceling as well, but they're giving you three options for how to get out of this year's run. And one of them is if you're going to ask for a refund, you're getting 50% of your registration less. So races are coming at it from all kinds of different angles for how they're handling it. And the human element is the part that takes way more time and effort to be able to deal with all of your participants. And if you can't provide the global answer that's going to make all of them happy, then you are going to deal with all the individuals who have an exception. It's like, uh, well, I would like to take a deferral, but I don't know if I'm going to be in the province that weekend next year sort of thing. Races across the country are struggling to come up with options for how to deal with these disruptions to their calendars. There's a balancing act for organizers. On the one hand, they don't want to make any hasty decisions to cancel or postpone unnecessarily but they also want to give runners as much notice as possible about the fate of their beloved events. Here's Kirsten. We made the difficult decision to suspend all registrations when the province came out and said no gatherings over 250. And that was last week on Thursday. So um, as I mentioned, things were moving very quickly. And we just felt that out of respect for the current situation, that it was the best move. We didn't know what the future would hold. It was an indefinite ban on gatherings. Um, with no specific date attached to it right away. Um, and we just wanted to be respectful of the situation and give us some time to figure out what our options were. Um, also recognizing that our government officials and our stakeholders who make decisions at the city level are very busy with dealing with the Im immediacy of this situation. And we didn't want to also be putting pressure on them. Right. So you mentioned that you remain hopeful that you might be able to you know, go ahead with these events as scheduled. And I, I wish the very best for you. I know that this must be such a difficult time, just the not knowing. Is there a plan in, in place to postpone these events? Should they not be able to go ahead as scheduled on those dates? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be elusive, but every race is certainly different. And we're looking at every possible outcome to see what makes sense um, from a uh, financial perspective, um, from, you know, how many runners are already registered, what costs have been put in so far, can we defer, can we, you know, reschedule for another day in the calendar later in the year, 
um, which has its own challenges just with how many events are considering that option. And then also just the unforeseen, like when are things are going to be back to normal and um, how long will that take? And, you know, just there's just so many <laughs> considerations to make. So we are absolutely planning on rescheduling the Scotiabank Calgary Marathon race weekend. People have been training. Um, we're looking at three possible dates that work for Stampede Park and the city. And we're just trying to solidify like that backup plan. So just working with our partners to understand what our next steps are. Um, and then also just understanding that nothing is certain. We're also you know, considering things like if it's a drain on city resources to be, you know, police officers, for example, on another weekend, because they're also at a festival, like, can we do a, a double looped marathon course? We're just literally looking at every possible option to make sure that we can have some sort of event. And just for those listeners who are hearing this, that's not necessarily what we're doing. I'm just trying to give a broad stroke of all of the different considerations. The stress level for the run organizing community has been phenomenal. Last Thursday, we we had to put out a statement and our executive team of me and Charlotte and Chris, we were having the conference calls every single hour. And I rewrote that statement four times because the landscape just kept changing every hour. You know, we, we had all begun thinking that the events would happen and that we would just take on extra precautions. Alan's team, like race organizers across the country, were reacting as quickly as they could to the ever-changing landscape. They thought about canceling expos, coming up with alternative packet pickup options, increasing hand sanitizing stations, even stretching out start lines to accommodate social distancing. But then, really, last Thursday, the world changed and it, it became obvious that this wasn't enough, uh, that there had to be postponements and cancellations. While some races scheduled later in the spring continue to hold out hope that they may go ahead as planned, Allen and the CRS team didn't have this luxury. Their first two events were set to take place in April, and it became clear very quickly that they would need to make alternate arrangements. Well, I, I think, Kate, that we've been more fortunate than some of our friends and our colleagues. Our first two races in the Canada Running Series are the Under Armour Spring Runoff that was scheduled to be run in High Park on April the 7th, the Montreal Half Marathon, Bank Scotia Demi Marathon de Montreal, and that was to be held in Parc Jean Drapeau on April the 25th and 26th. They have been rescheduled, not cancelled. The spring runoff, and I hope we're going to have a lot of fun with this, uh, will be November the 7th, so people can spring into fall. And the Montreal half has gone to the 26th and 27th of September. You know, we're a little bit fortunate that with our races being in the parks, we were able to reschedule. I think the biggest challenge is the longer distance races on the roads. We all know how hard it is to work with city partners and our broader community to shut down a city 42 kilometers of roadway for a day. You know, cities are under such pressure on all fronts and 
exponentially so now, it's much harder to find a new date, an alternate postponement date for an event on the roads. When they learned that their initial race dates would need to be changed, Allen says the CRS team worked quickly to secure park permits for the fall. And it was good they did. Shortly after the new dates were announced, parks departments in both Toronto and Montreal suspended new permit issuances. Allen says they were really fortunate to get their events on the calendar. I'm really so proud of our Canada Running Series team, uh, and led by Charlotte Brooks and, and Chris Fagel and Ryan Chilibeck in a, a Vancouver team. Once the world began to unravel, they moved really swiftly. So thanks to the hard work, the foresight of our team, we, we do have those, those dates now. Teamwork seems to be the name of the game, especially during a period of crisis management. I asked Kirsten to give us a deeper look into what's involved in these complex decisions. So obviously what we're experiencing right now, this you know global pandemic of untold proportions, is completely unprecedented. And you and I started by saying that there's really no roadmap for how anyone can deal with this, especially you know directors of large events like yours. Can you walk us through a little bit what goes into making these types of decisions to either cancel or postpone? Can you give us a little bit of insight into what some of those conversations with your stakeholders or with your board might have been around how to deal with this? How much time do we have? Yeah, I mean, I will give you a broad stroke. I think ultimately in any situation where there is not a lot of certainty, what we're really focusing on is communicating to our audience. As a former journalist, I know like how important it is for people to feel brought along for the ride. And in a time where none of us feel like we have a lot of control in what's happening in our lives, we want to be able to give our participants, our guests, um, our stakeholders, our partners, um, the ability to make decisions that are best for them in this situation. So we have been really working on our communication plan to make sure that people feel comfortable um, with what path of actions we're taking and and then just honestly applying kind of the same thing to all of our other relationships with venues and timers and stakeholders. But of course, canceling is the last thing any race director ever wants to do. While runners are out training and pounding the pavement for months on end, preparing for their race, we're in the background doing that the whole year. I mean, I know people don't always understand that it takes a full year to pull off one day. And in fact, the number one question I'm asked is, oh, that's a full-time job. Um, And I can assure you it is for many people. So I think in the case of Scotiabank Calgary Marathon, no one wants the show to go on more than I do. This is like my child and Um, I take a lot of delight in seeing people achieve their goals on our big day. So uh, I feel the pain of people who are, you know, hurting that they're not going to be able to have their victory lap or worried that they're not going to be able to have their victory lap. So really, we're, we're working on rescheduling. And what goes into that is just massive undertaking, because you have to be considering all of your different partners and vendors um, to make sure that they're able to come to the table and You have the volunteers that you rely on because there's, you know, people on the medical team and the venue directors that are key in us being able to execute the event. And we would not have time to replace those people. So we need buy-in from so many different levels um, of government and volunteers and stakeholders and venues and timers. As you heard earlier from Alan, 
Adding to the logistical challenge for race organizers is the reality that almost every race originally scheduled for the spring is now looking for a new date this autumn. Couple this with the fact that the fall racing calendar is already incredibly busy. Trying to fit in postponed events without conflicting with previously scheduled races has proven nearly impossible, even for events taking place in parks. In both instances, I think the options were limited. There was the option in Toronto of of the week before, but then there were other events already scheduled uh, on both the day before and the day after. And in Montreal, it was even more difficult. We were given the option again of the week before or the week of September 26, 27. But the week before is our Vancouver East Side 10K, and it's the Montreal Marathon. And the, and the week after is the Quebec City Marathon. So this was sort of the landscape we were looking at and trying to work with partners, all the sponsor partners, the supplier partners, with very limited options to, to choose the best for everyone, we hope. This scheduling nightmare is now a reality for all race organizers, particularly in small towns that rely heavily on the economic boost that a race of even a couple hundred participants brings. Nancy knows this well, given that many of the Run Nova Scotia events are hosted in smaller communities throughout her province. Our race series is very densely packed. Uh, There are not a whole lot of spare weekends or weekend days that anybody can move to. Also, when you deal with small towns like Liverpool, for instance, they already host two races. And if Run Our Shore was going to try to find another date, they would no doubt be crossing lines with the other race in Liverpool. And that would just not do either race any favors. So it's probably a better idea to cancel it and come back next year and without treading on anybody's toes. Our other two guests this week are Alan Brooks and Kirsten Fleming, who run events in Calgary and across the country, but primarily in major cities. Probably many of your races take place in these smaller communities where I would imagine there's a real community connection to those races. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of what that small town embrace of some of your races might look like and what the impact might be of them being canceled or postponed on the community? Especially in the early season, when you get something like Run Our Shore in Liverpool, it's it's a small town, and all of a sudden you throw 250 hungry runners into it, well, all of a sudden your restaurants are getting a bit of a boost. And if people feel like they want to have a little weekend of it, well, suddenly your hotels are now getting a bunch of runners are signing in and, and who wouldn't otherwise be coming into town. You know, something like um, the Cabot Trail Relay, which I'm involved in organizing as well. If that, for instance, had to cancel, please touch wood all over the place to make sure that does not happen. The, the economic impact of that race not happening in Cape Breton would be unbelievable because essentially the relay pays everybody's rent for an entire month because you got... 1,300 people who are buying gas and buying food and and staying in hotels that are otherwise not open yet. You know, we we create an entire 
part of the tourism season with just that one event. And when we all bug out on Monday morning, everything closes back up again behind us. But then I look at other things like the uh, Lunenburg World Heritage Site 5K, which is coming up in June, hopefully. That too would have a big impact on the town of Lunenburg, also not a very big place. The race brings in 500, 600, 700 runners, and it's just such an economic boom to any small town if you're bringing that kind of population increase, even if they're only there for two or three hours for the length of the event. The financial burden of cancelling, postponing, or offering deferrals for races is significant for event organizers of all sizes. In her open letter, Kirsten paints a picture of exactly how tight on cash even the biggest Canadian events can be. She wants runners to understand that offering full refunds for multiple events would likely bankrupt the majority of race organizations. So you even said in your letter that as someone who regularly participated in running events, you said, I had no comprehension of the financial and personnel resources it takes to put on a race until I worked in the race industry. You mentioned that Run Calgary is a not-for-profit and that, of course, you you know tried to turn a small surplus on a good year to kind of shelter yourselves, put some some money in a nest egg for circumstances like this. Can you just get into a little bit more detail about where exactly um, a registration cost goes to? What is covered in an average person's registration for the Calgary Marathon, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll start with the obvious things that most people see and that are tangible. So obviously, the things that you take home, which would include your bib with a chip on it that both have a cost, your medal, your piece of swag. Um, but then especially I'm going to speak to large lo- road races, the cost of closing down roads, the fencing, the cones, the labor, the rentals, the deposits that go on venues. So our event takes place at the Calgary Stampede. So we rent both the big four building um, for package pickup for three days and a day of setup. And then also the rental of the grandstand where the race starts and ends. And I know in Toronto, it's convention centers, often in lots of places, it's like stadiums. So those are not um, insignificant costs. Then depending on what city you're in, um, you probably have to pay at some level to have your city partners all at the table and participating. So that would be like rerouting buses or transit lines you know, roads departments putting out their cones, supplementing what we do on park with what they're doing to separate traffic from people. Police officers are are paid in most cities, they're not donating their time. So those are sort of the really like obvious things. We also have like a volunteer program. And that is a big cost for Run Calgary and most organizations. We support our volunteers with donations to their organizations when they bring teams and sports teams and schools. Of course, there's food and shirts for them. Then there's things that are probably a little bit less tangible, things like permits and insurance, obviously timing to get a result. Uh, Our AV costs are quite large because we have, you know, sound out on course and sound um, on the venue, both at the start line and the finish line. We have warehouse storage and office space, like, you know, medical team. A lot of them are volunteers, but there's certainly a lot of costs involved with medical So, I mean, I could go on and on, but the line items are lengthy. And then, of course, I don't want to forget that we also have a staff that we pay. We're not for profit. I mean, it's not we're not talking about, you know, corporate rates here. But in order to, you know, refund people 
all of those things have been paid and we're trying to also keep our staff whole. So I guess I was just trying to convey that we're doing the best we can. And I know that there are frustrated people out there who, you know, want refunds if the race doesn't go on. And, and we, as a runner, I totally get it. It's not unreasonable. Um, we often do defer people, but we wouldn't be able to do that on the scale of a cancellation of an event because really a deferral is just a refund by another name. I will just tell you that the events that I know who are doing that are doing deferrals, they're taking a massive loss and they're hoping that they're going to be able to spread it out over several years. The one example I can speak to because I have his permission and I know the actual numbers is the Monterey Bay Half Marathon. So Doug Thurston, great race director, been in the business for a long time and had to make the difficult decision to cancel the Monterey Bay in 2018 because of the California wildfires. The fires were nowhere near where they were, but they actually, the wind changed overnight and um, it was no longer safe to have people out running. So obviously people were already on site and many had uh, flown in for the event and they decided to defer everyone uh, and take hopefully take the losses over three years. So they have um, 7,500 people who are able to do that event. And they absorbed a $600,000 US loss. And they just really moved that cash flow loss over three years. And then there were also people were given the choice of whether or not they wanted to don- donate their uh, registration fee to the fire. So they also donated 125000 US for the 1600 people who chose to this option over the deferral. So their total loss was 725. And they were really lucky because they have three events and they did have something built up and they have great partners who were allowed them a little bit of um, line of credit. And they they have survived so far, although, you know, this year, who knows what that what that means. That's a great example of, you know, doing the right thing and deferring people and, um, you know, it, it, it really hurting the organization for several years. And they're also a not for profit. As you've heard, even for organizations on the scale of Run Calgary, CRS and others internationally, the planning and subsequent preemptive spending for events six months or even a year out is enormous. It could be crippling if every race had to refund or even defer entries. Here's Alan. Our overhead is about $200,000 a month. That's to pay the salaries of all of our staff and our contractors, to pay our rent and our offices in Toronto and Vancouver and our warehousing. So if you get an idea that people started working on Series 2020 in November The team have been working full tilt for five months now. And the simple math, that's a million bucks that's been spent just on overhead, not considering the commitments we've had to make to buy T-shirts that, you know, have to be ordered six, eight months in advance or medals the same. And there are 8,000 people in our two spring races if they paid an average of 50 or 60 bucks an entry, you know, we, we got four or 500,000 towards the million bucks from that group. And that's not considering any of the supplies or, or suppliers. And if you think about it, you know, the money's been spent for this April. So really, us and other organizers who are deferring this way, Kate, we're really offering a free race in the fall or... Some people may defer to April 2021, and that way we can spread out a little bit of the financial hit between 2020 and 2021. 
Another option that organizers are offering is participating in virtual events. Given the uncertainty of the weeks and months ahead, more runners are opting to share their results from solo runs online. This gives them an opportunity to test their fitness and connect with their communities virtually. You had mentioned uh, the concept of a virtual event. Just for listeners who aren't in the know, can you explain a little bit about what that would look like and what planning goes into moving to that model? So virtual events um, have been around for a while. We just recently embraced virtual events as part of our typical programming at Run Calgary as a way to engage with our audience at times of the year where we're a little bit less busy and where we don't have events. So we dipped our toe into the virtual world uh, at Christmas and we did the 12 Ks of Christmas virtual run. It sold out in two hours. Uh, participants paid about 40 bucks and they got a bib, a long sleeve technical ugly sweater t-shirt and a Christmas tree ornament medal. It was wildly successful. We only did 300 entrants just because we wanted to try it out. And, uh, you know, I've, we've really embraced it. I think it's a great way to contribute to the overall running community because it gets people moving, which is ultimately what we want. And some people are motivated by swag, which is great. It gets us to be creative and allows our team to, like I said, really engage and connect with our digital community online. So a lot of events are pivoting to the virtual model. And what this means is that you'll still be able to get your t-shirt and your medal, and you would go out and you would run responsibly by yourself or, you know, maybe with one or two other people, but, you know, not in big groups, because right now that's what we're trying to avoid and go out and put your training to the test and have your, your, you know, your victory lap and do it that way. So if you were signed up for the 10K, now you're a 10K virtual runner, you go out and do your 10K and a lot of different companies are doing different solutions for results, but you might want to, you know, upload it on Strava and tag their race or, so there's this digital component where the community still gets to celebrate one another online And then there's usually two different options. So it's expensive to mail things. Specifically in Canada, we found uh, it was an average of $11 a package if we were mailing within Canada. So we hosted a pickup, which obviously right now wouldn't make sense. But some events are just saying, hey, listen, go out and do your virtual race. And when it's safe to do so, we're going to you know, host a, a celebratory, come and pick up your package and let's all have a beer. Or you know, we could go for a run together and you'll get pa- your packages then. So there's those kind of um, different logistic pieces. But from a race standpoint, some of the challenges that are presented are the fulfillment process. So we're still waiting on our medals that uh, are in production in China. And of course, there's been a disruption to the supply chain model. So not knowing when we're going to be able to get things in-house. And then obviously, the same would go for our t-shirts. So that's part of it. And then also packaging and fulfillment. It takes a long time. So I will just give the example of we did 300 packages for the 12 Ks of Christmas and we offered people five bucks off and they could come to our office to pick it up. 60% of people chose that option. So we only mailed out 40% of the packages and it took us a total of about 70 staff hours to fulfill the entire packages and get it the pan, you know, do labels and get them into the mail and send them off. CRS is also offering free virtual races for their spring runoff and Montreal half. Alan says he hopes that this will be another way to keep runners engaged and motivated during physical distancing. We're working with sports stats. The basics will be that you go do your 8K or 5K or your Montreal half, and then you'll go to sports stats and upload your time, and then 
you will be mailed your shirt and your medal for successfully completing the the virtual race that you can have done at any time in a certain window. There'll be several weeks of a window when you can do this and any place to keep all of our spirits, you know, as strong as possible. The uncertainty of this whole situation is the most challenging aspect, logistically, but also financially. There's no way to predict what the next few weeks, much less the next months, will hold. And Alan says his team is developing multiple contingency plans for each eventuality. There have been two phases in all of this, maybe so far, Kate. I think the first phase, we were all so strongly focused on people's health safety and what we had to do to safeguard the health of our running community, our participants, our volunteers. But now, as we can see on a national scale too, there has also kicked into full gear financial safety. We just don't know what's going to happen in two weeks, in four weeks. Right now, we're planning for summer races and autumn races, but we're also working on plan B and plan Z. That's all we can do. And I think all the race directors are in the same boat. This sense that everyone is in this fight together is reinforcing the strength of the race directing community. Each of our guests expressed how grateful they are for the mutual support this community has provided. Here's Nancy. Everybody's heart breaks a little bit every time we hear another race has had to be canceled. And it just feels so badly for that race director because we're all going through it together and we're all on pins and needles. You know, do we, don't we? How long is the self-isolation going to last? Is it going to be another three weeks? When's going to, when is the peak in the, in the infection going to hit? We're all kind of holding our breath and holding our hands going, well, if, if we have to pull the plug, I'm here for you. To, whatever you need, we'll be there to help you. As a, a community of run organizers in Canada, globally, we've been trying to communicate as much as we can openly and transparently, but it, it has been a challenge. Uh, we actually posted that statement of mine last Friday in the fifth version, and it, it's just changing so much. So I, I think communication is vital. It's brought us closer together. And even just yesterday, Charlotte arranged a happy or not so happy hour Zoom conference with the race directors from Vancouver, from Calgary, from Winnipeg, from Ottawa, from around the Bay, Sporting Life and Toronto Women's Series and Maritime Race Weekend. There have been many, many, many conference calls. So, you know, we're trying to pool our resources, our ideas, to give strength to each other in this unprecedented time. In the midst of all of this, I've probably talked to, I've definitely been in touch with upwards of a thousand different race organizers because we've had some webinars um, led by our friends at Running USA. Um, They've showed such leadership over the last couple of days really pulling together swiftly um, crisis communications and event cancellation and 
postponement webinars for us to all contribute our best practices and weigh in and help each other out. So that's been tremendously helpful. But sometimes muddies the water because I think, okay, well, we're going to go down this path and this is what we're going to do. And then I hear, oh, you know, this race in San Diego did this and it was really successful. So you start researching that. So the the abyss is long. I'm in self-isolation, so I have nothing but time right now. Um, But I'm able to fill it because there's just so many things to consider. Again, I know this is probably difficult to anticipate, but do you have any sense of what the lasting impacts will be for Run Calgary and for the Calgary Marathon moving forward? I am a glass half full optimist. So I would like to say that we're going to be stronger when we come out of all of this. And the reason I say that is from experience and when past organizations um, on a much smaller scale have gone through awful things in our industry, you know, I'll use a couple of examples of our friends who in Chicago in 2008, it was a really hot day, they had to stop the race, you know, they ran out of water. And that organization has come back and is just a powerhouse in our industry leading the way for all race directors and how they show up for their participants. I mean, the best practices they they now have in place and their processes are just next level. I've been lucky enough to work and volunteer for the Chicago Marathon for I think six years now. And I always come back from that event so inspired and wanting to get to work. My poor team, I'm always like, I have 8,000 things that we need to be doing differently. And I think that's a direct result of the fact that they went through something hard. So now you have an entire industry of people who passionately care about what's going to happen next, putting their heads together and saying, how can we lift each other up and get through this and be stronger than ever? So I I'm going to put my money on that you will see a very strong, organized and connected group of race directors across the globe, frankly, really working together to make sure that, um, you know, God forbid we ever go through something like this again, that we are ready to activate and execute on a, on a much higher level. Despite all the costs, the anxiety and the uncertainty, these race organizers remain incredibly optimistic about the future of their events. I think this really speaks to the staying power of the running community in general. These directors are counting on the grit and passion of this community to pull together and help weather this storm. I'm being very optimistic on the behalf of all of our race directors that this is a mere blip and that once we get through 2020, it'll be a year to remember, but then we'll just come back in 2021 and carry on from where we started. Just looking at at what's on our list for this year, there are a lot of races on it that have been going on for years. And I'm not worried about Nova Scotia Marathon. They're celebrating their 50th year this year. If they had to cancel, they'd lick their wounds and move on to next year. I think we are so fortunate to have the privilege to be able to run. And now is the time, you know, to just keep on running on and know that this too will pass and we'll all be together high-fiving at finish lines when it's appropriate and safe to do so and that you know we got you your race directors care about you and we're all working really hard to make sure that this run community has something to look forward to again when this passes i think the more aggressive we are with our social distancing, um, running, going out and running, but running alone 
or running just with a very close partner, the sooner we can take on the virus and do everything we possibly can this way, the sooner we can begin to get back to a world that we all passionately love and embrace. You know, that's where we meet up. That's where we build our community. That's where we make our friendships. Just be patient and just get out there and go for a run. Thank you so much to Kirsten, Alan, and Nancy for contributing to this episode and for the immense work that they do for runners across the country. You can learn more about their races by visiting the links in the write-up to this episode. And if you're looking for a way to fill your time, consider sending the organizer of your favorite event a note of thanks and support. It would go a long way right now. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ShakeOut Podcast. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes or any place you get your podcasts. And keep checking back to runningmagazine.ca for updates and news from the world of running. Stay safe and healthy and know that this too shall pass. Cheers.